Hi, um, my name is Emma, and I am recovering from anorexia. Um, I guess uh, to start, I'll say that, you know, I grew up in a beautiful home with beautiful parents, a mother and a father, younger sister, younger brother, or no, older sister, younger brother, um, and it was pretty good. Um, the only particularly abnormal thing about my family growing up was that both my parents had immigrated to the U.S. from England. So all our family lived overseas, so most summers we spent either in England or Ireland visiting various family members. Um, but, I mean, from the outside looking in, everything seemed really per perfect. Um, and I think that was what almost stressed me out more than anything else with my eating disorder and my depression and things of that nature because everything was so good. How was I having so many problems at the same time? Um, growing up, I was always a very emotional child. I remember I would throw tantrums or cry or just be incredibly sensitive. Um, and my older sister was probably the most calm and level-headed person you could ever meet. And I remember feeling so much jealousy toward her because when she was mad or upset, she could just blow it off or just kind of think, oh, it's no big deal, like, don't worry about it. Versus when I would get upset, it was as if my whole world was shaken. Um, and that was something that ever since I could remember, I felt things more than anyone else did in my family. Um, when I went to school and I started in elementary school and middle school, I was always, always on my best behavior there. So while sitting in the classroom in school, I was the perfect child there. I got straight A's, I excelled in everything. I never once showed that I was emotional or showed that I got angry or anything like that. But when I came home and I was with my family, with people who I felt comfortable around. That was when I would cry. That was when I would get upset. Um, and I mean, I remember my parents telling me, Emma, please stop crying. Or like yelling, you need to stop crying right now. And that never worked. And it just kind of built this whole guilt up inside of me for being upset and getting angry and things of that nature. Um, you know, by the time I was in middle school and things like that, I wasn't throwing tantrums or anything like that. Um, if I were to be upset, I would keep it to myself because it had become apparent that being upset and expressing my feelings in that way wasn't, it wasn't acceptable um, for my family at least. Um, you know, by the time I reached my freshman year of high school, um, I started internalizing a lot more of my emotions. Um, I think it was then that I really developed depression and um, anxiety. Um, I remember just this overwhelming feeling of worthlessness, um, going from class to class every day, trying to do very well, trying to uphold that perfect image that I had made for myself at school and also the expectations of my parents 
um, were very high. I mean, my dad would always say to me, um, I don't care what you do, Emma, as long as you're the best at it. Um, and if I came home with a 95 or even a 99, it was, well, where did those five points go? Or where did that one point go? Um, it was never really enough. And so when I was a freshman, that was when I first started um, self-harming. I started cutting myself. Um, and I hid those like there was no tomorrow. I just, you know, I did everything that I could to possibly hide them. Um, my parents found out about them um, because I had fallen asleep without the covers on and they had come to turn off the lights in my room and they saw my wrist. Um, the next morning, my mom and my dad were at the kitchen table and incredibly angry at me. Um, you know, I think my parents were very, very scared. They had no idea what was going on with their daughter. Um, and I mean, my dad, he held me by my arms and he told me, you can never, ever do this to yourself again, Emma. You have to think about your brother and your sister. Think about us. Think about how we would feel. Um, and I remember thinking, like, of course I'm thinking of you guys, but if I'm cutting myself or if I'm hurting myself in that matter, the person who's going through the most pain is myself. So why don't I think of myself rather than think of my siblings or my parents or something like that. Um, so my parents brought me to a therapist at that point, and they didn't even call her a therapist. They called her a lady to talk to because they were so uncomfortable with the word therapist. Um, and I remember going to this lady and talking to her, and she asked me if we had any history of like mental illness or alcoholism or anything like that in our family. And I said, no, I don't think so. I mean, we're all pretty fine, I think. Um, and later that night, I told my mom that she had asked, and I was like, of course not, right? And she looked at me, and she was like, well, it's not completely true. So she, then she told me that depression did run in her family. And then she told me that alcoholism ran in her family and that suicide ran in my family. That was the first time we'd ever had a conversation like that. And I was 15 years old, and I was going through all of these things, but I had never been told about this. Um, you know, at that point, we just, the lady that I talked to and I kept talking, I guess, for, you know, on a weekly basis for about a year. Um, we stopped seeing each other. I think it was, I think it first started off with, like, her going on vacation, and then I went on vacation, and then we just kind of never made another appointment and we kind of stopped seeing each other not I still don't actually remember how that actually happened um but it was at the beginning of my junior year that we had stopped seeing each other officially um and I think I was pretty confident in myself that everything was fine and I was like I'm an upperclassman in high school now you know I'm got my good friends I'm excited about this it'll be good um but it was quite the opposite. Um, about a month or so into school, one of my best friends, I had opened up to her about my depression earlier, like when I was a freshman in high school. And um, she confronted me about it like two years later. And, you know, she asked me why I was happier with some of my other friends and why I didn't talk to her. And we ended up fighting and it just kind of exploded into this weird petty mess but 
it ended in her not allowing me to sit with her at lunch and her not allowing me to talk to her and her telling all my other friends that, you know, Emma did this and she's horrible, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't come over, come over and say, like, look, no, like, I have depression. That's why I was doing this, because I didn't really want the whole school to know what was going on. Um, so I kind of, like, faded into the background. I started dating this guy during this time, and so I sat with him at lunch. Um, I didn't have very many friends at all, um, and it just kind of went from there. I was feeling really angry at myself, um, and I knew that if I had start, started cutting, my parents would find out eventually, and then they would get mad at me again, and I didn't want that. So I found that if I skipped lunch at school, I felt hungry, and I felt this like this um, pain in the pit of my stomach, and it was kind of satisfying to sit there and just feel hunger. Um, so that's what I did, and I did that for about a month or so, and then at that point I realized that I was losing weight, and then I started weighing myself and seeing that I could lose even more weight if I stopped eating breakfast, or if I limited how much I ate at dinner, or if I skipped other meals or limited other things. So I started doing that as well. I started weighing myself three times a day, writing everything down, um, counting calories of like the smallest little things, like counting chapstick as like calories or something like that, and just always being afraid that if I were to have, you know, like a piece of gum, I couldn't have a piece of gum because there might have been extra calories in there, or what if I accidentally swallowed it? And then it was there for, you know, the urban myth says like seven years. But the idea that I could have something in my stomach for seven years was like paralyzing. Um, and so from like December up until March of my junior year of high school, I just, I feel like I just kind of survived by. Um, I was not focused on school whatsoever. My grades, like, dropped a little bit. Not, like, a huge, huge amount. Um, but for someone who had straight A's all through high school, I was getting, like, B's and things like that, which, I mean, it, it sounds, like, not that big of a deal. But to me, I remember looking at them and feeling really disappointed in myself, but just not caring enough to change it. Um, because it felt like no matter how hard I tried in school, it was never enough for myself or for my family or for my friends and things like that. But, you know, I could lose weight and people thought that was great. People would compliment me on it. People would say like, Emma, you look like you've been working out, different things like that, even though you would never catch me dead in like a gym or anything like that because I'm very athletically challenged. But I was fascinated by this fact that everyone was impressed by my body. Um, and so through a series of mixed events in April, I ended up in the ER. Um, and that was when my parents found out about everything. And that was when I told people about what had been going on. Um, and I mean, I don't think my parents, I had told them that I was just like, 
working out more in gym, and that was why I was losing weight when they had asked me about it. And I think they probably thought something more was going on, but they just kind of dismissed it because they didn't want to think about it or they didn't want to imagine that their daughter had more problems or something like that. Um, and it was there that, like, I was first diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. Um, and they had wanted to transfer me to, like, an eating disorders unit in the very beginning, but um, they didn't have any beds open in the one that was closest to me. And so my parents and the doctors there decided to send me to a general child psychiatric ward for about a week until one of the other beds opened up. Um, And that was probably the scariest time of my life while I was there. Um, It was filled with kids with a whole multitude of problems. Um, I felt, I think everyone who goes to a psych ward feels very, very out of place, but I was so terrified and so anxious while I was there. Um, I remember on like the first day we had a group and one of the kids, um, I had shared that I had trouble eating and one of the kids said to me, well, if you smoke marijuana, you'll get the munchies and then you'll want to eat everything. And I remember seeing like the therapist's face just like turn completely sour and just what are you talking about? No, 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 (laughs) not a good idea. Um, And completely moving on. But, you know, while I was there for that week, I got away with eating so little. Um, And I I met with like the psychiatrist a couple of times and he kept telling me that I was going to meet with the dietician there and that she was going to make me eat more. But every day the dietician never really showed up or I guess she wasn't around or I'm not exactly sure what happened, but they really didn't supervise me in an effective manner um, because my eating disorder was able to, like, rage on furiously there. Um, But after a week or so there, I was transferred into a hospital, like an inpatient unit for um, eating disorders, and they were excellently trained. Um, You know, I was forced to eat, obviously, Um, and I met some other people who were going through the very similar things that I was, and I felt this kind of community almost there. Um, You know, I learned about the weird culture that is eating disorders treatment um, because it's a very strange niche in the world, but um, it definitely has its own characteristics. And, you know, while I was in the hospital that time, I felt very safe. Like, I felt like everything was fine. I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to worry about that kind of thing. I could just kind of close off from the world. Um, And, of course, I mean, it was uncomfortable. It was painful. Um, You know, anxiety-provoking in the fact that I was forced to eat and I was forced to gain weight and talk about things that I did not want to talk about. Um, But it was a way to get away from the rest of the world that was going on outside. Um, However, even though I was saying things like, oh, yes, I want to get better, or yes, like, I can't wait to go back to school and, like, take care of my body and things of that nature, um, 
in the back of my mind, I wanted to leave so that I could eat less again, so that I could lose weight again. Um, so after about two months, I left the hospital, went back to school for like a month before summer let out. Um, and it was almost immediately back to the same kind of strategies as before, um, except this time I had learned a lot more about how to hide it, about how to make it not as dramatic so that my health wouldn't deteriorate as quickly. Um, so, I mean, for my senior year of high school, the goal in the back of my mind was always to get to college so that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, so I, you know, I ate a small lunch, but I ate a lunch. My weight yo-yoed up and down all year, but it was in within like a 10-pound range. So it was like, this is fine. I'm fine. I'm doing just fine. Um, and I was seeing a team during that time and like a dietitian and a therapist and a psychiatrist and a doctor and just my life was just going back and forth between all these professionals and then me coming home and still counting every single calorie that I took. Um, it was still about the eating disorder. It was not about actually living my life. Um, so I made it to college and um, I went to a school pretty close to where I grew up, only around a 25 minute drive. Um, my parents didn't trust me to go anywhere farther. I was petrified to go anywhere farther away because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I also was deeply insecure about my academic abilities, and I thought that I couldn't get into any other colleges. So I only applied to three schools, all of which my grades and SAT scores were very, very above their ranges and their averages because I didn't want to get any rejection letters. Um, when I went off to college, um, my eating kind of became this secondary thing that wasn't as important as anything else in my life. Um, I was alone a lot of the time. I didn't have, you know, when I was in high school, I think Almost everyone kind of figured out that, like, oh, yeah, Emma had some eating problems. She, like, wasn't in school for a while. She got really thin. But when you're in college, it's no one knows your story. No one knows where you came from. Um, so I was able to kind of do whatever I pleased. And people really loved to comment on my weight when I first entered college. Um, they loved to talk about how I was so skinny and how it was – how they felt bad standing next to me because, like, they I made them feel so fat because I was a stick. Um, felt like almost like every single day someone was commenting on my weight. And, you know, a college dining hall that's a buffet style um, where you have no idea where the food comes from, you have no idea what's in it, a calorie count of it, or anything like that was incredibly terrifying. Um... And, you know, if I were to go with my friends, sometimes they would comment on what I had taken. Like, one day, I remember, on Mondays, I allowed myself to have a burger. And one Monday night, I was there with some friends on my freshman floor. And this one girl said, oh, look, Emma's eating a burger. Can you believe it? She's a stick and she can eat burgers. And I just, I, I froze. And I was, 
like, what was she saying? Like, how could she say that to me? Like, why would you say that in front of all those people? Like, I just, I felt like such a fraud. Like, no one would ever believe me if I told them what the, what I had been through or what I was struggling with. Um, I felt like everyone was staring at me and, like, no one would see me as this smaller person who had like my thinness was this identity that I had and the thinness was what made me special and was the only qualifying factor of someone wanting to be my friend because I felt like my actual personality the the human being that I am wasn't enough but because I could manipulate my body people would like me because of that um and that one comment I feel like is what really spiraled me out of control while I was at school. Um, my freshman roommate had a um, scale in the room. She had it on her side of the room and she hid it under her bed um, behind one of her storage units. Um, but I saw her take it out a couple of times, so I learned where it was. And I knew her class schedule. So whenever she was in class, I would pull it out and weigh myself. Um, and I hadn't weighed myself since I was in the hospital, like before I was in the hospital, because my parents had taken away my scale. And so then I could start recording my weights, and I could start recording everything I ate and my weight and how it changed. Um, I was still seeing a dietitian and a therapist at this time, but I ordered, like, weights on the Internet, like you know, like two, three, four pound weights um, that were like in kind of like beanie, like beanie bag type things, little mini ones that I could put in my bra or I could put in my pocket or something like that so that I could fake my weight when I was weighed. Um, And it was just this like endless cycle of waking up, you know, getting to class, sitting in class, maybe going to get something to eat with a friend for lunch, but maybe not, you know, maybe eating a small sandwich, a little bit of sushi or something like that, then going back to my room, going to the dining hall with a friend, getting a salad for dinner, um, and then just trying to get some homework done, trying to, you know, watch some Netflix or something like that, and then just going to sleep. And I didn't, there wasn't like much going on with my life aside from like going to class and sleeping. Um, By the time uh, Thanksgiving rolled around, I was probably the most depressed I had been in my entire life. I had stopped taking my medications. I was malnourished. um, And I remember coming home and just feeling like complete and utter crap. My parents decided then that I should commute for the rest of the semester because they were worried as well. So I commuted for the rest of the semester, um, and I just, I mean, I think at that point I saw how my life was just not a life (laughs) and how upsetting and depressing it was. Um, And I think I was really fed up with it, and... I asked for help at that point, and I think usually 
people with eating disorders don't like to say they had to ask for help. You know, like they like to say, oh, my parents forced me into treatment or my treatment team forced me to go somewhere. Like they threatened to not be my team anymore unless I went into treatment or something. And I mean, I felt like at that point, like I knew that if I kept going, it was going to get worse. And I didn't want that. Um, So I wrote a letter to my parents actually um, explaining what had been going on and how I felt like I needed to, you know, maybe go to like a day treatment type place or something like that over winter break to kind of take this like last effort to hopefully figure something out with my life. Um, And I, they were very open to it, I think. Um, I think that they probably had sensed that I was also not doing very well. Um, And so then I started a day treatment program. Um, And it was at a very different place than the hospital. Um, It was more based off real life um, rather than, you know, nurses everywhere, you know, that kind of thing. It was more about actually living. People in general who were there were at higher weights than those who were in inpatient, so it was a little bit less triggering in that nature. Um, And I also think I really was at a point in my life where I was really wanting to change. Um, and I wasn't doing it for anybody else aside from myself. Um, and so I started there. Um, and there were so many meals that I like sobbed through and I cried through and I, I cried so much. And I just, I remember feeling very, very vulnerable for so long. I just felt like I was like this open wound um, going in treat- to treatment every day. And like, I felt like, I felt like I was just ready to be like torn down or something like that because I had opened myself up so much and started making so much effort to change. Um, and I mean, it got to this point where like the anxiety that I had around food was so much that I would be eating something and then I would just feel this overwhelming sense of nausea and anxiousness And then I would run to the bathroom and I would throw up. And it wasn't, you know, I wasn't purging. I wasn't trying to have this happen. It just was this, like, huge, like, whole body encompassing anxiety. Um, And, you know, I felt so terrible that I was doing this at an eating disorder center just because I was like, I am the most triggering person in this entire world right now. I am throwing up in a treatment center for eating disorders. Um, And... You know, like, everyone said, no, you're not, Emma. Like, we know this is not your choice. This is what's happening. Um, so I tried to remember that. And I did a lot of breathing during meals after that point and had to really work through my anxiety around accepting myself, um, accepting that maybe I won't ever meet my parents' high expectations of myself um, and that, you know, eating food doesn't necessarily mean that I am some kind of bad person. Um, And so after about seven weeks, I went back to college. Because it was local to me and because the treatment center was close by, I was able to do um, an intensive outpatient program through there. So I did IOP through there. And 
I think this was like a really important time in my life just because I was able to maintain my weight for the first time on my own without it like yo-yoing and going crazy and that kind of thing. And I was at college still and I was like, this is crazy. Like, how am I doing this? Um, How is it possible? And I remember I talked to like my therapist at the treatment center and I was like, I don't like, I think you guys are lying to me. Like usually my weight goes up and down like crazy. Like even if I try, it'll go up and down like crazy. And they were like, no, it's, it's stable. Um, And it was like, like, I just, I felt like happy for once in my life that I wasn't losing weight. And I felt happy that I was like at a stable place. Um, And so that, you know, the spring semester of my freshman year of college was so dramatically different than my fall semester. Um, you know, I joined clubs, I made friends, I went to class, and I also did other fun stuff. Um, you know, my grades were better, and everything just kind of, like, felt good. Um, I mean, I still had to work really hard. I was still seeing a lot of treatment people all the time, but everything was like it was it was practically like a new life living living like in this recovery mindset versus this mindset of trying to lose more weight trying to be sick trying to really just like not live um and I think one of the key things about the treatment center that I was at was that so many of the staff um had also recovered from eating disorders and you know they were open about it. Um, And I think I saw that it was possible to recover and that it was also possible to recover to a point where you had a good and fulfilled life. Like I always had this idea in the back of my mind that I, you know, I could maintain my weight, I guess, but I wouldn't ever really be free of the calorie counting or free of the intrusive thoughts and everything like that. But being there with all those staff who were so beautiful, like, inside and out and just so happy and, like, they just seemed to have things going for them. And I was like, that seems amazing, and I want to get to that point where I can just be happy doing whatever I'm doing and be happy living my life and not caring what I ate and just embracing everything. Um... And so I think that's really what pushed me to actually go through with eating and actually go through with sitting through really tough emotions. Um, And, you know, when I was first starting to actually take care of myself, getting through breakfast was always the hardest for me Um, because so many people can just kind of say, oh, like, I didn't have time for breakfast or... I wasn't really that hungry or was in a rush and they would just never have breakfast. And I remember countless times explaining that to my dietitian, like, oh, my friends don't have breakfast and they don't have eating disorders, so it's fine. Um, But sitting there for like an hour and a half eating cereal in the mornings and actually eating all of it um, was something that like really kind of pushed me to like keep going because I was like okay it might take me an hour and a half but I can do it after that hour and a half um 
And it gave me this, like, sense of confidence, like, okay, well, like, if I can get through treatment um, and, like, you know, regain my weight and maintain it outside of college, outside of um, a hospital and that kind of thing, like, what else can I not do? It was, like, this sense of, like, hey, like, I'm kind of beating anorexia right now, so, like, I can do anything. (laughs) And it was this sense of, like, confidence that I had never really felt before. Um, And then, you know, I started telling some of my friends about what I had gone through, and I remember telling one of my, um, my roommate at the time, I told her about how I had gotten through treatment again, and I told her that I had 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 anorexia, and she was like, okay, that's fine, and then she asked me, like, can I ask you a question, Emma, and I was like, sure, go ahead, Um, and she asked me how I could have been anorexic if I wasn't paper thin, and I just, I like, I I was like, well, her name was Emma as well, actually, ironically enough, and I was like, well, Emma, it's a mental illness, like, it's, they're too very, it's a very complicated, you can't really look at it from the surface, and I, I left the room, and I went to the bathroom, and I cried for, like, 30 minutes, and then I remember thinking to myself, I'm not gonna let this ignorant person <laughs> ruin my day, or ruin what I worked so hard for, so I, like, went back to my room, I watched an episode of Friends, and then I went to the dining hall, and I ate dinner, and I was just like, I can't let this stop me anymore. Um, and I think the biggest thing was just making a life that I was, that was worth recovering to. So, you know, today I do over 300 hours of service a year for my scholarship. So I work with students um, in Trenton and I do, I teach third grade after school program and it is one of the most exhausting things I've ever done, but also one of the most rewarding things. And, you know, now I'll come home after a really kind of rough day at the after-school program, and, you know, maybe one of my students shared something about their home life, or maybe, um, you know, I maybe a, a shoe was thrown across the classroom, which happens all too often. And I'll be really, really upset about that. And, you know, I'll, I'll take this, like, moment of, like, well, right now I'm upset about my students' lives and what's going on in real life versus, you know, how much, how many calories are in a piece of gum and just this kind of, like, overwhelming kind of happiness that I'm sad about things that are not stupid anymore. <laughs> um, not that they were stupid when I was thinking of them. It's just, it's different. It's a different kind of stress and it's a different kind of thoughts that you'll have. Um, and I think I was just, I think when I think about my high school experience, I think of like how it was covered with like mental health and mental illness and just a mess of doctors and hospitals and not a happy time. And I think at the beginning of my college career, it could have very well been like that again, but, um, I'm so happy and I'm so proud that I asked for help and I did the work that I had done um, to make sure that my college career wasn't like that. And I mean, it's only been like 18 months or so since I left treatment for the last time. Um, 
but I can't explain how much my life has changed in words. Um, it's completely changed. I mean, I never thought in a million years that I would join a sorority, and I did. <laughs> um, and I never thought, you know, I would go out and have fun with friends and make out with a random boy or something like that and just enjoy myself and just really live in the moment and feel like a normal college student. Um, but this past semester I have, and it's been so wonderful. Um, so I guess to end it all, I would say the thing that made the biggest difference to me was making a life that was worth recovering to and never stopping until I got there. You have been listening to Qualified. Qualified is not affiliated with any recovery program. All organizations, institutions, people, places, things, and opinions expressed by each guest are entirely their own, part of their own journey of recovery, and not intended as medical advice. Qualified will never make a profit. We are self-supporting based on our own contributions and those of listeners. If you would like to donate to Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. All contributions go toward the production of the show, with any extra monies being donated to a pool of recovery-based organizations as suggested by our guests. If you have a story of recovery and you would like to be a guest on Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. If you are suffering from an addiction, there is help for you and there is hope for you. We on this podcast are living proof. Thank you for listening.